is Existential, a podcast aimed at reminding you that it's okay to be human. We listen to human stories and human experiences, and we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. Folks, today uh, we, we have another treat because Joe Lumen's back with us. It's um, that's Joe there. That's, that's who you just heard. In <laughs> of course, I threw up. <laughs> it's but my Joe, timing. It's impeccable. <laughs> Joe is one of our favorite guests and uh, people on social media in real in life. Um, so, Joe, thanks for coming back and sharing with us. Again. Corey, I love being here. It's always such a treat for me to have a conversation with you. So thank you for having me again. Yeah. So so what's been going on? Anything new? What's happening? What's, I mean, the world, we just, you know, came out of a pandemic. Well, not even out of it. We're still in it. And now we're in Seriously. World War Three, I believe, you know. So, I mean, right. how, are you, how are you doing? Oh, gosh, it's been a lot. Um, it's been a lot to navigate. And to, it, it's really funny because it feels like every, since 2020, every year, we're like, this is going to be a better year, but it isn't. Mm. Um, and we are seeing these collapsing empires all over the world. That's what we're seeing, mm. right? We're seeing mm. empires collapse, not only the United States, but I mean, the, the, the choices that Russia is making are going to cause it to collapse too. Mm. And so we're seeing empires collapsing. And at, at the bottom line for me is always when empires collapse, uh, while there is going to be good stuff that comes out of empires collapsing, it is the most marginalized that are going to suffer as the empires are trying to fight for a mm. last breath. Mm. Um, so I keep just, you know, we're seeing, and, and we, we have to talk about all the empires because yeah. the church as an empire is collapsing too. And that's why they are getting more violent. And that's why they are trying to pass laws against trans kids and gay kids and trying to regulate what women can do with our bodies or we, what we can't do with. It's just, it's a lot. And wow. so I keep trying to figure out ways. How can we show up for the most marginalized and continue the work of helping these? The empires have to collapse, but how can we minimize harm as we do that? So yeah, that's what I've been kind of trying yeah. to figure out. That is so interesting, like, because we would, at least I guess those of us that um, try to live from some kind of moral center would say that empires collapsing is a good thing. Right. But yet at the same time, as you just said, like in the process of those collapses happening, there is a bunch of harm that happens to people that isn't good, you know? So right. like, wow, I mean, what are what are ways that I guess we can and I guess I speak specifically to the church. We can jump into that because one of the empires that um, is coming under fire now is, is Hillsong. Hillsong's got a documentary yep. coming out soon. And people are already like jumping to a lot of, at least evangelicals are already jumping to defend Hillsong. Like what are the ways that we can show up for the folks that are being harmed by these empires collapsing? Yeah. You know, I had a really good conversation yesterday um, with a woman and we were talking about space of safety. And I'm going to share it here with you, too, because um, because I just thought it was so good. So I was watching this. It was a TikTok video of uh, mm -hmm. James Corden. I think that's his name. Mm -hmm. um, one of his like speaking shows i don't know what they are called um <laughs> i don't watch them <laughs> so he one of the things that he does and he was with two actors an actress and uh, like a woman and a man 
and they were playing this game. And in the game, they were asked to stand behind uh, like a thick glass that was not going to break, holding a martini. And the goal was to not spill the martini. And Mm. so the man stands behind it and James is talking to the man and he says, oh my gosh, you look like like James Bond. You should say James, I'm Bond, James Bond. And the guy starts laughing with him and engaging with him and enjoying life. And uh, and he's talking to him. And as he's talking, they throw, I think it's like an apple at the glass. Mm. And the moment it hits the glass, he gets startled, spills all of his martini, of course. Wow. And then the woman goes on and she's standing there with her martini and she's so focused, like absolutely focused. And James is talking to her and she can't answer. So he's he's asking her a question and she just goes, yes. Mm. And can't answer. She can't engage in conversation because she's fully focused, 100% focused on not spilling this martini. Mm. And I saw that and I thought that's exactly what happens inside of this systemic oppression that we are pushed into. We are Mm. so, we are told that we have to hold on to this martini and that if we don't hold to that martini and the church plays a role in that, right? If you Mm. don't hold on to this identity of Christian, if you don't hold on to these, uh, the acceptability of the church, then you're going to go to hell. Then nobody's going to love you. Then whatever, right? Mm. And so we're so desperate to hold on to this martini that we cannot even engage our prefrontal cortex. We cannot even engage in in life. We cannot live. All we are doing is surviving. All we are doing Mm. is being fight flight mode, trying to exist so that we don't spill the freaking martini. (laughs) I thought about what if churches, I was talking to this woman and saying, what if churches were the safe spaces where people can realize that they can actually put the martini down? And they are safe and they can process their emotions and they can start actually living their lives and they are going to be taken care of and they are going to be uh, seen for who they are. They don't have to fight for acceptability. They don't have to fight for, um, for, for love. They don't have to fight for belonging. They just intrinsically belong. And then our churches, whatever church is, right? Well, our communities, whatever we create, become these safest spaces for the most marginalized because there are, as a, especially as an empire is collapsing, there are no safe spaces for the marginalized. So it is our responsibility to build those, create those and become them. That's that's the only thing that we can offer. We can become the safest space for the mm. most marginalized amongst us where they can realize, oh, I don't actually have to hold this martini here and I get mm. to think because we don't know what's best for anybody else. They do. But if they cannot even engage their prefrontal cortex and actually think, they will never be able to get to where they need to be because wow. they are in fight flight mode all the time. Holding the martini. Yeah. That is such a powerful illustration of what we're all doing you know we we are at least those of us that have been in church i mean we and i still to this day with all of the deconstruction and and decolonizing and and things that i've done over the last several years i still to this day feel the um emotional pain i guess of like the distance that i know i have from a lot of people in my life Mm-hmm. that are Christians that go, you know, you know, you're no longer holding the martini. Right. And we all are. Right. You know, like, Absolutely. and this is, this is our ticket into a, a blissful afterlife. Right. And for some reason, it seems to me that even like, even if I were a person who believed that holding that martini granted you access to bliss in the afterlife and let, and dropping it, 
you were punished forever. Yeah. I think I would be a little bit more compassionate towards people who like put the martini down. But what I'm, what I'm seeing, especially with your work, almost every day, someone is, is just in some of the more, the most wicked and dehumanizing ways attacking you for advocating for people who are harmed. Yeah. You know, I, I recognize uh, that people ask me, like, how do you do it? How do you receive these violence day after day? But I recognize that all of these people are in their fight flight mode. They, mm. they are. They are not necessarily completely engaging their their entire critical thinking skills. They, they aren't. They can't. They, they have been so indoctrinated to believe that they have to save us all. They have been so indoctrinated to believe that they are right. And they, them being right is so important for the paradigm that they have been given. So I recognize that it hurts when it's people that I know. It hurts when it's friends that um, intentionally misrepresent me and happens often too. Um, because when you, when you align with the marginalized, I, oh, I, you know what? I saw Cornell West a week ago, exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. Last week, I went to Point Loma Nazarene University. He was speaking there. And Cornell said something that was beautiful. He, he was speaking about Black people specifically, but mm-hmm. I think this applies beyond Black people. Mm-hmm. He said, when you fall in love with Black people, and he wasn't talking about romantic love. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, when you fall in love with Black people, you, bec- you are in danger now. Mm-hmm. Because the system will target you too. Because the system targets Black people. So it is so hard when you have privilege to choose to fall in love with white black people, to make the choice to fall in love, because then if you love them, you will be harmed too. Mm. You will be harmed every time they are harmed and you will be harmed for defending them. And we have people that were called, you know, N-word lovers in the 60s um, because they protected Black people. And that happens still today. But then I thought about anytime you love the marginalized, anytime that your work becomes the work of I will align with the marginalized and I will love the marginalized, you will be hated. You will be hated by the system. It's not individuals that hate you. They have been conditioned to hate the marginalized. And if you love the marginalized, then you are a, a perfect mirror for them to realize that that mm. is a choice. Mm. It's a choice to hate people mm. that are in marginalized identities, that they could change, that they could choose differently. So they'll hate you. And then the question becomes, again, am I going to protect the love of the powerful for me so that I can be validated and accepted in that? Or am I going to continue this height with the marginalized? Mm. I, I said this yesterday to that woman too. I said, I, a person that is whose um, validation comes from the outside, which happens with all white people, because whiteness tells you that your validation is on being white, which is something external of you. It doesn't say anything about who you are. Mm. Um, so it happens with every privileged person. Their identity has been so... Uh, the, the source of their validation, the privilege that they have is so much the source of their validation that you cannot trust them because they'll mm. protect that validation above your humanity. They'll betray <laughs> anybody. They'll betray their mama. They'll betray their kids. They'll betray themselves in order to protect what gives them validation, in order to protect that sense of I am worthy because their worthiness comes from out there. And the church teaches people that their worthiness comes from out there and not from within. And that then becomes a cycle of codependency with the church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You give me my validation, so I keep coming. Even if you hurt me, even if you abuse me, I will keep coming. And the moment that you find people that have found their validation within them, 
oh, those people are revolutionaries that will absolutely change the world and the system will intentionally target them because they are dangerous. Mm. They don't need anybody's validation. Mm. My God. Wow. I'm <laughs> wow. Damn. Damn. Yeah, like, at first when you start talking, you know, you it sounded like when Jesus was telling his, you know, disciples that the world hates me, so they're going to hate you too. Exactly. Right? And yeah, and that's, that's like, and I remember like, you know, early on as a 20 something year old in evangelical spaces, like taking that idea from Jesus to mean like the world's going to hate us because we're good people. <laughs> they're right. going to hate us because we're going to heaven. They're going to hate us because we don't drink or cuss or smoke, whatever it is. But what you just described makes so much more sense. Yeah, they're going to hate us because we are aligning with the people that the system tells us to hate. Yeah. We are loving them. We're intentionally loving them. Uh, yeah. And that'll, and I mean, historically, every person that has aligned with the marginalized has been hated. Yes. He, I mean, Jesus was absolutely correct. And yeah. see, so we have to talk about what does it mean then to pick up your cross? Mm. Because then picking up your cross has nothing to do with denying yourself or anything like that. It has to do with putting down your privilege, mm -hmm. putting down that place that has given you all your validation. Put, like, I will put down all of my privilege. I will spend all of my privilege for mm. the marginalized so that this world becomes heaven on earth for everyone, not just for me. Mm. Putting down your cross now becomes a really tangible thing that we all can actually activate within us. It's not about putting down my cross. It doesn't mean that I, I, I'm not going to drink, even though I really want to. How, how shallow, <laughs> right? That's just rather shallow. Yeah. Putting down my cross means I understand the privileges that I have in my life, and I will spend all of them. Mm. Instead of using them to protect me for my purposes, for me, I will spend them all for the marginalized. Mm. And, and it's like so hard and all of the people who have been in this before us um, seem to say some similar version of privilege is uh, a deterrent to justice because when we are benefiting from injustice, you know, it, it, it makes it a lot harder for us to lay down that privilege when it's, yeah. you know, uh, we can even make ethical claims about like our privilege, like, you know, the the mega church pastor who says if you know if we keep talking about race that you know people will stop giving and then I can't you know feed the 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 kids pastor can't feed their family I mean all of these these things right that like uh, at a certain level I go okay I understand that but how do we begin to reimagine doing the good in the world that we claim to do yeah in ways that like aren't dependent upon us having to look the other way from injustice or even worse, perpetuating injustice. Yeah. You know, I, I keep thinking about how we do a lot of work that is tangible, right? Um, organize, go to marches, protest, mm -hmm. all of, and it's good work. We need to do that work. 
But the most important part of the work that we are not doing is changing the minds of people. Because once you understand, once you open up your mind, once you put down the martini and you're not in your sympathetic nervous system at all times in fight flight mode and you're able to engage your mind, you actually recognize that there are ways in which you can continue to protect yourself and your people and continue to feed them, continue to offer them. And... Mm. continue to move the world toward justice you mm. you start figuring it out but if you are in your sympathetic nervous system always trying to survive capitalism always trying to survive i get it we're all trying to survive capitalism mm. i am here trying to survive capitalism uh we're all trying to survive white supremacy we're all trying to survive patriarchal you know ideologies and systems and yet, because I am able to, to carve safe spaces, because there are safe people in my life, I am able to sit down and become really creative because creativity is mm. never bred from privilege. Creativity is always yes. bred in the margins. The privileged yes. people simply co-opt and appropriate what the marginalized people, all music, mm -hmm. all music mm -hmm. comes mm -hmm. from black people. We know mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Like, we're not going to pretend we don't. <laughs> right? <laughs> And music, oh, this is something Cornel West said too. He said, the difference between music that black people write and music that white people write is that black people are not asking anybody to come and see them. Black people are asking people to come and be empowered by this music. Mm -hmm. They are saying, come, be empowered by the things that we are saying. I mean, listen to Bob Marley. These were songs of empowerment. Mm -hmm. And he said, white people say, come and see my gifts. Come and mm -hmm. cheer for me. He said, it's a totally different paradigm. It's a totally different way of seeing the world. See, I don't do the work that I do because I want people to come and tell me, you're such a good writer. Or I don't care. <laughs> I don't, you know, English is not even my first language. I am not a good writer. I'm a subpar writer at best, and it's fine. I don't come in here to help people open up their minds, to help people put down their martini. Mm. So that they can open up to the possibilities in their life. Because I can't tell them. They have to figure it out given their, uh, given their privilege, given their context, given the connections that they have. I don't know any of those things. I know what I have. Mm. But mm. if we cannot help people put down the martini, mm. have safer spaces to put down the martini. Mm. So that they can figure out how can I actually engage the work of justice without starving my family, mm. um, without causing more harm in other ways, then they will continue to choose uh, self-preservation. Mm. Because that's what their, their nervous, their entire nervous system, their entire brain is wired. Our, our, our brain, our nervous system has evolved and mm -hmm. wired us in such a way that the most important thing for us is self-preservation. Mm -hmm. Uh, so until we are able to recognize that we can do both, we can have self-preservation and justice, if we are able to engage our prefrontal cortex and become this, the, the fullness of the image of God, that, like, right? this creativity, this creator that comes into the world and actually breathes realities with words only, we can be that. We mm. are that. Martin Luther King did that. Mm. It's, it's creating realities with our words because we're coming from the divine that is within us and not for the purpose of come and see my gifts. Mm. That, those different, that differentiation that Cornel West made was beautiful to me because I don't ever want to write or do anything to invite people to come and clap for me. I did mm. that inside of the church. I preached so people would clap for me. I don't ever want to do that anymore, ever. Mm. I want to come. I want people to say, come and let me empower you with some of the creativity that has been given to me. And I bet that you can empower me too. Mm. 
Mm. Let, 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 let me equip you. Let me share my tools with you. That's what I want to do. Let me share all of the tools that I've been able to acquire with you. And you can share all of your tools with me. And we're going to get out of this one together. I yeah. Mean, that's a different paradigm. It is. And it's like, and, and you know, I think um, uh, you get it a lot more than I do, but I, I also get some of the, um, you're, you, you, you come off like you're angry at Christians and like, you know, this, you, you know, someone really close to me actually said that my brand was a, a worship, a former worship leader who was pissed off at the church. And, and I'm like, huh, that's interesting because I'm actually not mad often. <laughs> not like really, that, there are things that make me angry. I'll see them and I'm like, okay, I don't like it. Like, I mean, I, I, I do get angry at some of the things that people say to you um, uh, because I just, I don't know. I just, I, I think there is, um, I hate to see people who I know have what you just described as like a, uh, a, a virtue of, I want to do good in the world that is to me divine. And it's not something that any of us can take credit for or brag about. I right. see people that are, that hold that under attack from people who are pretending to be that. Right. That's infuriating to me. And I think that's what was infuriating to Jesus. Like that they're, that folks who actually are genuine, right. who actually care. The reason why we're having these conversations is because we actually care. I have these conversations like what we're having right now when I'm not doing a podcast, just oh, on the phone same. with people. Like we're having these because we care about it deeply and people who just like check into caring, you guys can't see the quotes, but caring about it, attack those of us who who, <laughs> who really yeah. do care. Yeah. And so I, I just like, I, I hear when you're speaking about it, like just this real passion for goodness have you been able to locate what is it that causes you to um, um, direct so much of that energy towards the Christian community? Well, uh, several things. Um, first, I love Christianity. I really genuinely do. Mm. I, I it, it saved my life. Um, mm. The good parts of Christianity, mm-hmm. which are mostly Judaism, I've mm-hmm. noticed. <laughs> Dude, so much same. <laughs> so much same. Um, yeah, I, I've been talking to a lot of my Jewish friends, telling them like I and one of my Jewish friends told me, you have a Jewish soul. Why what have you considered converting? And I was like, yes, and also no. I there are aspects of Christianity that continue to be. And I feel like I would do more good staying a Christian, remaining a Christian, speaking to my own, staying in my lane. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like if I become, if I were to convert to Judaism, it would be a different dynamic. Mm. It's also a long two-year process that I just (laughs) right now don't have the energy for. Um, But I love Judaism and a lot of the Jewish theologies that Mm -hmm. Jesus spoke about because Jesus was a Jewish man, not a Mm -hmm. Christian. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They saved my life. There was so much power in them, so much beauty in them, so much liberation in them. The the, the liberation that I've been able to um, acquire for myself, the liberation that I fought so hard for, uh, it's deeply entangled with Christianity. I, Mm. I would not be as liberated as I feel right now, I would not be as free as I feel right now, were it not for Christianity. And so I continue to speak about it because I think that Christianity is and can be a powerful tool for liberation for all of us. Not the only one, 
mm-hmm. at all. But mm-hmm. for some of us that have that paradigm that understand the language of Christianity, which is a lot of us, gosh, this is such a powerful tool for liberation. So I continue to speak on it. Now, if we're talking about capitalism, listen, if you tell me what would you love to do in the world, I want a house in front of a lake and I want to paint and grow my own food and make friends mm-hmm. with the community. That's mm-hmm. all I want to do. That's it. That's it. I want to live in front of this lake mm-hmm. and I want to be close enough to a city, but outside of the city. And I want it to be peaceful and quiet. I want to read books and paint and dance and cook food that I grew. And that's it. I want to have a quiet existence. I want to live my life well. That's all I want to do. But I I need to pay my bills. And the mm-hmm. only expertise that I have is in Christianity. It's in theology. And I understand that this can be a powerful tool for liberation. So I will use the expertise that I have. I will use the 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 tools that have been given to me in order for us to move toward liberation together. And Mm. the ways that I've been able to figure that how to do that are the ways in which I do it right now, both online and offline in communities here in San Diego and in communities online. Mm. Um, Because I believe that Christianity is a powerful tool, can be a powerful tool for liberation. But before it can become that for all of us, we have to dismantle the weapon of oppression that it's become. Mm. And that dismantling feels like an attack. Mm. And it is. Yeah. And it's not. It yeah. Is. Yeah. Because it, it has to be. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and it's like, so people would be, would be like, do you want to see Hillsong crumble? And I would go, yeah, probably so. Absolutely. <laughs> I, mean, like, what? I mean, because it's, it, it's, it is not the thing that you just talked about, the beautiful thing you talked about, about Christianity. There are very few spaces, certainly in the United States, where that's the case, where it Absolutely. is where it is something that Richard Rohr describes as as something that can add to the world that's not trying to take over the world. Ah, it's something yes. that can like, that that if you are a Buddhist, that you can participate in liberation yeah. with me as a Christian. But so many, so many of my Christian friends, brothers and sisters are like trying to take over the world, whether they're, whether it's aggressive or even in passive ways that are just going, well, this is the only way. Right. And and I just, I, I'm fascinated to hear you talking about a Christianity that I'm like, okay, yeah. Like I could, I could call myself that. Today I won't call myself what it is. And right. I and I know that that there's there's like some tension in that because I can't distance myself from, you know, the yeah. thing just because there are bad actors in it. But right. There is a part that there, what you're describing is like, yeah, that redeeming that is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, people ask me all the time, why are you still a Christian? Like, it's so ugly. And I'm like, yeah, it's so ugly. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> um, the more I study the history, the more that I read. I recently, I recently read about a case where a Jewish boy in Spain was, um, this was a few hundred years ago. He was, I forgot the name right now. It's the, it starts with an M case. If people mm-hmm. Google it, then they'll mm-hmm. find it. But when he was a baby, he was baptized by a woman. Um, and because he was baptized in the Catholic church by a woman secretly without the consent of her, his parents or without his consent, because he was a baby, um, the Catholic church said, well, he's a Christian and leaving him with his Jewish parents would be inappropriate. It would be wrong. So they took him away from his Jewish parents. They mm-hmm. took him away. 
And there was nothing that these Jewish parents could do because you didn't have the power to do that. And the amount of times that Jewish parents lost their children because of things like that is wild. So the, the only reason that this case became so popular is because the Pope actually took this child as his own. So it became this huge thing that the Pope stole a child and with impunity, with mm. absolute impunity, because this child is a Christian, because I said so, period. Wow. And it's so ugly. And I want to, I want nothing to do with that faith. I want mm. nothing to, because it's not a faith. I want nothing to do with that terrorism. Nothing. Mm. That's terrorism. And mm. at the same time, I refuse to let the powerful steal something that is beautiful. I mm. refuse to. Uh, and, and that is my prerogative. It's not something that anybody else has to take on. It's not something that I ask anybody else to do. Somebody asked me yesterday, do you think that people should stay Christians? I'm like, I, that's a very personal decision. If you want to mm. leave it, toss it and say never again, I get it. And I respect that decision. It's absolutely understandable given the violence. Mm. It is my choice to stay a Christian because I, I think it's just like this is stubbornness. Mm -hmm. that I was like built with by God. It's <laughs> mm -hmm, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you will not take away from me the thing that has saved my life. You yes. will not. Because who does Christianity really belong to? Those of us who have fought with divinity in order to be able to find our liberation. Those of us who took this so seriously that we have given our lives to understanding the beauty inside of theology and to understand the amazing tool of liberation that this can be. Or those who have co-opted and appropriated Jewish narratives in order to be able to be empire in the world. Who does it belong to? Because they cannot have it if I can help it. And yeah. I will need to tell them in their face, I am a Christian because me being a Christian proves that your bigotry is a choice. Wow. It's an absolute choice. Because is, I'm not a bigot yeah. by choice too. I had yeah. to choose to confront my anti-Semitism and my homophobia mm. and my mm. internalized racism and my misogyny. Mm. I had to confront it and I could, which means you can too, but you're choosing not to because you'd rather keep your privilege. Wow. Absolutely not. Uh, so that, yeah, that I, that I can stand up and applaud and like, you know, get like a megaphone or something, you know, those things at the basketball games. <laughs> it's just so, <laughs> because, because it's like, it is this, I remain here as like salt and light, <laughs> really. Like I remain in this space as that and I get it and I totally understand it. And it, and it's the other thing that I, I do find just really like, I guess, humorous is the overwhelming majority of people in the world consider themselves to be Christians. They do. And and so if I, I'll from time to time, probably once a year, I'll send out a text. Hey, what does it mean to be a Christian? And the answers are all over the place. Yeah. As to what it means. And there is really no one, there's no headquarters that can like, there's no like roster here on earth of like, yeah. this person has done a catechesis and is therefore a Christian. It's like anybody at any time can just say, yeah, I'm a Christian, Yeah, which is, like part of the the issue is that for so long people in power have had a, a problem with people going i'm a christian who don't go to church or read their bible or pray right yet they continue to call themselves christians as they abuse as they cause harm as they lie as they cheat and as they steal right <laughs> but they're christians with this person over here who's done none of those things just doesn't go to church and read their bible 
but they're trying to live from a place of, of, of abundance and freedom and liberation and care. That person's not a Christian, but this person is because they said a prayer. Right. Or because they keep going to church and checking yeah. off the, you know, like they check yeah. off, they look, they look acceptable. They are an acceptable Christian. I am not mm. an acceptable Christian. Me I'm neither. not. And I don't care. And mm. that bothers them. I was talking to, I said something, and this is going to bring you probably some pushback, but, and I apologize for that. You can, no, you can shield it, no, like you can send it over to me. It is totally uh, fine. I said Putin is a Christian because he is. He's, mm -hmm. He belongs to the Russian Orthodox Church, and a lot of his decisions are informed by his Christianity. I don't know if people knew this, but the Jerusalem of the Orthodox Russian Orthodox Church is in Ukraine, and the Orthodox Church has a split, and the Russian Church wants it to not be split anymore. The Russian Church wants the Ukrainian Church to go back to the Russian Church as their authority figure. Like, there is a lot of Christianity in what Putin is doing, a lot. A lot. And we're not going to pretend that there is not. Is there also political reasonings? Yes, absolutely. Is there also capitalism inside of that? Yes, absolutely. And yet, Putin is a Christian. And I said that, and Christians got very, very angry with me because he's not a Christian. <laughs> he's the fruit of the Spirit. And I said, oh well, but who does? Show me a Christian that displays the good fruit of the Spirit all times. Mm. I mean, he believes he's doing what God told him to do, just like Christopher Columbus did, just like you know, enslavers did mm -hmm. just like a whole bunch of different, just like the mm -hmm. pastor that abused somebody did just like mm -hmm. the Catholic priests mm -hmm. that have abused children believe that mm -hmm. they are doing the will of God. Mm -hmm. and, and I said, there are, so a woman was asking me, are there any ways to know, like if somebody can be kicked out of a community, like, and she said, if a doctor does malpractice, they are kicked out, they lose their license. And I was like, you know, Christianity is a little bit different. We don't have malpractice laws, but uh, yeah, there are some denominations that do have that. You can be excommunicated from the Catholic church, for instance. And let me give you one example of someone that was excommunicated. Martin Luther was excommunicated from the Catholic church. Mm. Is then Martin Luther not a Christian? Because he did start a whole entire denomination. Because if Martin Luther is not a Christian because he was excommunicated, then no Protestant is a Christian either. Wow. Because they followed Martin Luther. And then you're not a Christian either. So are, are we going to be okay with that? Are we going to... If they say they are Christians and their Christianity informs their decisions, whether it be for good or evil, they are. Mm. They are. And we have to sit in the, discomfort of belief, of, in the discomfort of seeing how we are associated with a lot of evil in the world. And as accountable people, our responsibility is not to wash our hands off by saying they aren't Christians. Our responsibility is to say, how can I make this better? How can I hold my own accountable? Just like Jesus did in Matthew 23, mm. holding his own accountable. But it's just easier for Jesus to, for Jesus would have, could have just said, I wash my hands. They are not real Jewish people. I'm done. <laughs> they are not real Jews. I'm over it. He, he was a responsible Jewish man that came to his own and said, the hell, why are you aligning with Rome? Why are you using the weapons of Rome against your own? How dare you? Mm. And we should do the same. You know, um, yeah, I mean, I I would go even a step further. So you know, so pushback will come to both of us, I'm sure, because history shows us that Adolf Hitler absolutely was informed by Christianity. He was like that. This was the spark of his entire like atrocious, atrocious uh, time on this planet began with some bad theology. And listen, 
Christians have done a really good job making Nazism an atheist thing, but it wasn't. 1.5% of Nazis were atheists. The rest of them were either Catholics or Protestants. The majority of them were Christians. But the propaganda of Christianity, because we are so powerful in the world, has made Nazism an atheist thing. And they weren't atheists. And now, was was Hitler a terrible person? Absolutely. Was he yes. informed by Catholicism? He was a Catholic? Yeah, he was. Absolutely informed by his Catholicism. He told Goebbels, he said, you cannot stop being a Christian because it's good for us politically too. So he knew exactly how Christianity worked. He knew exactly that it could be a weapon of oppression. He, he, he believed it was a weapon of oppression and therefore good for his purposes. And for us to, the, the way that Christianity has washed their hands off of the Nazi party is disgusting. Instead of being an accountable people, we did not hold ourselves accountable for any of that. Instead, we said, oh, they were atheists. Also unleashing a lot of hatred towards atheism. Yeah. And they yeah. had nothing to do with it. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, it's it's similar to what what um what we see in America in the United States, I should say, whenever there is violence committed by black people uh, or brown people, there is this like narrative that this was a this is a this is this is uh endemic of all like this is this is like these are violent people these are super predators you name it these are what they are and whenever there's a white person who commits a mass murdering right we start to have conversations about either guns or mental health every time because we're separating this is an isolated incident that doesn't reflect all of us this is the tool, and this is where I, I, I find so much of white supremacy and Christianity in in bed with each other. Yeah, in the United States, because of the playbook seems to be the same. It like what you're just describing, there's this playbook of going, "Oh, we were responsible for something awful. Let's put it on these people." Yeah, and even what I'm seeing now with the Hillsong documentary that's not even out yet, I'm seeing we are not responsible for wickedness it's the people who are coming forward and doing this documentary and and don't we all have skeletons in our closet and isn't everyone a sinner all of these things that are like trying to deflect from accountability and a sense of like hey we gotta own our own shit there's some stuff Absolutely. there's some stuff happening and, and that i may not have done it but i maybe i knew about it i saw it happening or I need to search within myself the, the stuff that could make me the same. The same. Instead, what I'm seeing is a lot of deflection and yeah. blaming of victims. Yeah. When I was, when I left the church, I was told you should start a church. A lot of people were like, you and your husband should start a church. You would be such great pastors. And I don't know what kind of sense got into me. I generally cannot say that I'm just as smart or anything. I don't know why I knew these. But I remember thinking, I will become like my lead pastor mm. i will become like him it's a, it's a, it's a, because i saw him leave a church where he was abused move to san diego to start a church and become his abuser and i can i am not delusional enough to believe that i'm better than him i'm just as human as him i just have as much as an ego of he, as him i have as much as the narcissistic tendencies as him we all do we all do so what does it look like to be accountable people? What does it look? And I knew if I start a church, I'll become him. 
Mm. I'll absolutely become him. I have all of the markers. Like I'm a, I'm a type, I'm a Enneagram eight. And I don't know. Mm. That's the only one I know. I don't know the mm -hmm. other ones. I'm an Enneagram <laughs> eight. I have a very type A personality. I am charismatic. I can mm. preach. I can mm -hmm. gather up a, a, a people, you know, mm -hmm. around mm -hmm. a message. I will become him. I will, and once my finances are tied to this church, once my survival is tied to the, the church, I will manipulate people to give because I am trying to survive. I can't do that to myself. I don't want to become him. I don't want to. So that meant I became an Uber driver because as an Uber driver, I couldn't do that. I needed to humble myself. I wasn't this amazing pastor that got spoke to as opposed to everybody else because that's what they all believe. So that's why they have to start a church. I wasn't. I wasn't. God speaks to everybody. I was an Uber driver. That's what I was. I was an Uber driver and I lost no value because I needed for my validation to come from within me. I recognized that my validation came from the church. My validation came from this pastor. My validation came from my parents. My validation came from the accolades of the congregation every time I preached. Every time I preached. All of the dopamine that was released was my validation. And until I could sit with myself long enough to get my validation from within me, I was not a safe individual and I should not lead anything, nothing. And to this day, I believe that leadership that goes to a person, like just one person, this hierarchical that stops at one head is just a way to justify narcissistic tendencies and to be able to be okay with a narcissist. They will always become a narcissist at the head, always. That's why yeah. it has to be flat and leadership has to be flat. It has mm -hmm. to be flat mm -hmm. because we all have the potential of becoming a, an abuser. We all do. Yes. This is, and this is probably why, and what we see in the first Testament with um, you, you have the Exodus and you have this liberation of these people who are Yahweh's people and they're yes. liberated and they're out in Say the that. wilderness. And then they start to, figure out how do we organize our society, but they bring some of Egypt with them because they still enslave human beings. They just try to be better at yeah. enslaving. They try to they try to be more humane. They try to not be murderers. But then the the whole progression of the story you see that they begin to want more and more and more and more power. They go yeah. from judges to kings and every one of their kings becomes a narcissist. Even their best David is a person who will kill a man's I'm sorry, kill a woman's husband so that he can be with her. Yeah, and avoid accountability for, for him abusing her. <laughs> this is like, it's right in front of us in, in, in Scripture. Every time. That every time someone rises to the top, something awful happens. Yeah, and that's why Jesus refuses power over and over again. They try to make him a king, and he's like, oh, absolutely not, and walks away. He's like, you will not make him a king. You will not. You don't understand. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about an earthly kingdom here. I'm talking about we're bringing the kingdom of God. The only king is God. You will not make me a king. You will not make me a king. And what do Christians do? Make me come a, make him a God. Jewish people don't believe that the Messiah is a God. That's a Christian mentality. They made him a God. Jesus would be horrified, I believe. It is my opinion. Jesus would be horrified. He'd be like, I am absolutely not a God. God is God. But this is something I've been thinking about a lot. And I actually have a video that I haven't uploaded about the difference between liberation and privilege. We conflate the two. We think that privilege, gathering more privilege for ourselves, moving up in the hierarchy of acceptability, becoming like the white wealthy men, that will be our liberation. And there are none of those men are liberated at all. They are just privileged. 
there is not the, liberation and privilege are not the same thing and that's it breaks my heart to see people of color desperate to get money because if they are rich then they are liberated no you're just rich chances <laughs> are you'll become an oppressor chances are that you'll start oppressing people chances are that you'll betray your own for it the difference between liberation and privilege is massive. I don't want privilege. I'm not trying to garner privilege for myself. People tell me all the time, you write the things you write because you want more followers. Oh, yeah, because followers are going to pay my bills. <laughs> I don't care about followers. <laughs> I couldn't care less. I lose more followers than I gain every day because I say things that make people uncomfortable. I want liberation, not privilege. I don't care about privilege. If I cared about privilege, I would post pictures of myself in bikinis because then I would get followers quick. <laughs> <laughs> like getting followers for a woman like me is not hard. It really isn't hard, not in this day yeah. and age. Just a bikini and a Bible. You know, right. it, it, it's like I'll get it would be it's viral. Viral. I mean, Corey, Corey, I could, I, I am a good preacher and I have enough knowledge that I could preach to the evangelicals. I could, I could say yeah. all the things they want to hear and I yeah. would say them in a way that is beautiful and insightful and they would clap for me and throw money at me yeah. and I, I would make bank. Yeah. I don't care. It is not privilege that I'm chasing because the more privilege that you have, the less chances that your liberation is going to be what matters to you. You're going to protect that privilege above all things. What we need to do is actually move to the margins, go to the margins, get closer to the margins, align with the margins, look at the margins, sit in front of the margins and let them share their pain with you because you will reject privilege every time you do that because it is privilege that's hurting them. It is the fact that we have privileged identities. That is, we need to destroy privilege. Privilege needs to go. Mm. Liberation means we don't have privilege anymore. Everybody's treated with the same respect. Everybody's treated with the same humanity. So the more that you fight for privilege, the more that you oppose liberation. But we keep conflating the two. We think, oh, if we make money, then we. Oh, if I buy a house in Manhattan, in the Upper West Side, then we. Or East Side, I don't care which one is the rich one. I'll never live there. Whatever side. We keep thinking that that's liberation. It is not. It's just safety. You're still doing the same thing, surviving. Mm -hmm. You're still fighting that fight flight mode. You're still holding the freaking martini. You are not free. You're holding the martini. And now the martini is way heavier because you need to protect more privilege. Do you think that JC, do you think that JLo, <laughs> I love that I had to say, <laughs> these people that are people of color, are they liberated people? No, nah, they are just privileged. And they will betray all of us that are poor any day. Any day. They will betray us because they are protecting their privilege and they are not liberated. Liberation and privilege are not the same thing. And the more privilege that you have, that's why I don't want to be rich. I have zero desire to be rich. I just want to pay my bills and live a good life. I just Same. don't want to worry about money. Mm -hmm. Like I hate worrying about money, mm -hmm. but I don't want to be rich. I don't want to hoard money. I have zero desire to hoard money. Anything extra that I have, I'll give away. I don't mm -hmm. have extra right now though, mm -hmm. but, <laughs> but whenever I do, I will, I'll give it away. I have no desire to become rich. I have no desire for people to ask me about like, how can you become rich? I have no clue. Give it away. Why do you want to be rich? I think that is the, um, I think this is the 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 call of Jesus, mm -hmm. as, as I understand Jesus. And that you also just named um, where I I will confess because anyone who knows me knows I've been I've sat in green rooms, and now I understand why having a green room at a church is such an atrocity. It is. I, a, I I I had to to maintain green rooms 
for pastors. I had to bring the waters and the food and clean it and make sure that the bathroom was with all the things that they needed. And the way they talked to me, I, I wasn't, I was a nobody. I didn't exist to them. I was a servant to them, but I thought that our call was to serve. Yeah. I get a quiet space for you to like, you know, get your mind right to go communicate, but that's not what green rooms have become. Yeah. There's something different and you know, these conferences and I've, again, I've been in them and I've, how oh my, yeah, like golly. I mean, the, it's, it's like hiding in plain sight right in front of us that we, that within this tradition of following Jesus, who was like you said, trying to give away privilege, telling people don't tell anyone about this, like that we, we have now been a, a, a people looking for power. Listen, Jesus in the Gospels heals others, and he tells them, "Don't don't talk about me. Just go back to the temple, and and give an offering, because it isn't about me." But we read that, and they say only one of them came back, and they teach that as that one was the only one that came back to give honor to Jesus. No, that was the one that didn't get it, because Jesus had he didn't care for the glory. He didn't. The other ones went on to live their lives. He just said, go and live your lives and live your lives in such a way that you bring the kingdom of heaven. I don't care about the glory. I care to equip you with tools. I gave you a tool. The tool was the healing. Now go and use what you've been given for the well-being of others. You don't have to give me the glory. I don't care about the glory. I don't. Uh, that's what Jesus was telling them, right? Mm. The, 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 the one that got it, the ones that got it were the ones that didn't come back. Mm. The one that came back, it didn't get it. Wow. Wow. See, but we, so, we, we keep thinking we have been so indoctrinated by supremacy culture because supremacy culture does not stop at whiteness. We have been so indoctrinated by supremacy culture to believe that privilege is liberation. It is not. It is not. The more privilege that you want to garner for yourself, the ones that you can control, right? The privilege that you can control because there are privileges mm -hmm. that you can't control. Mm -hmm. But the privilege that you can control, the more that you garner it for yourself, the more that you align with the privilege, the more that you want to be in the rooms of all the powerful people, the more that you want to be... I, I hate being mean to JC because he's a black man, but listen, he bought an NFL team. The NFL is an oppressor of black people. It, it commodifies black bodies. And we're going to say that it's liberation that now a black man owns an NFL team? Come on now. Come on now. Like, that makes no sense. It makes no sense. That is not liberation. That is participating in oppression, but now being the oppressor in the body of a marginalized person. Wow. And we need to change the pair. It's not privilege that we need. It's not privilege that we should chase. It's liberation. And those two are very different. Well, Joe, <laughs> I think I'm... I'm I, I think we're gonna we could call some car accidents if people listen to this in, in the car. Like I, I this is so good. It's it's so like that. There, there's just so much of this. I'm 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 sitting in, meditating on so much of this. That like, um, you know, what I love about it is that I'm not putting on a show here with the podcast. That like I feel like you've ministered to me personally. Like I feel like I have um, a lot of what you've said today named was stuff that I'm like, yeah, I've been processing this and thinking about this. And some of it is hard too, because, you know, in the United States, especially as a cisgendered man mm -hmm. that understands Christianity, I'm afforded some privilege and opportunities Absolutely. to take advantage of those things. 
And I find myself so often at intention with like, oh, I like this, but it's privilege and I want to do this, but like, I need to survive, but I, do I, how do I, and, and I think what you've just gave me today is a lot to meditate on and pray about. And, and, and I say pray about, I don't, these days I don't even know what that means. <laughs> like, I know what you mean exactly. Right, yeah. like just kind of to, to, to sit with whatever it is. I'll say pray cause that's the best handle for it. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, I appreciate you and I, I'm grateful for the work that you do. I think, I think most of us, if not all of us who are listening to this podcast are appreciative of what you do. And, I, and I'm not sure you hear that enough. Um, you know, because you're, you're in the thick of it on social media and I'm sure in real life, but, um, I, I appreciate you a lot. Thank you so much. I feel, I feel the appreciation and I feel the, the love and the support. And, you know, I, it is knowing that I have people like you that if I, I can call you and be like, I'm not well, mm-hmm. that will be like, okay, how can I show up for you? Mm-hmm. Knowing that is, I, I keep showing up for, for not for me only, but for you, for me, for my descendants, for your descendants, for our collective mm-hmm. descendants, because mm-hmm. as I know that, I sure hope that you know the same is true for you. Because yes. You call me and I'll be like, what do you need? I'm yes. here. Like, yes. Here. And I appreciate that. And I hope, I do hope that one day before like this life is over, you get to live by that lake and paint and oh, grow your own food and, and invite us over for dinner and we'll, we'll eat some food that you grew. That would be amazing. Yes. And I, yes. and I hope there's like some sort of, hope there's some sort of non-privileged moral way to have a golf course there too. Cause <laughs> so, um, but like, tell us, so you've got a new podcast came out since the last time you were with I us. So tell did. us about the podcast. Yeah. So the podcast was, it's been a dream for a very long time because my work, people think that my work is the work of deconstructing Christianity, but I don't care about deconstructing Christianity mm-hmm, that much. Mm-hmm. I care about decolonizing. Yes. Uh, and so the podcast is just conversations. It's called the living room and it's just conversations that I have with people, uh, where we are having these, just like the conversation mm-hmm. with you, which means that you have to come on the podcast one <laughs> and I'm asking you publicly. So now you have to do it. Um, okay. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's just conversations with friends. Uh, the conversations of how do we do this? How, how do we navigate the hell escape that we've been given and move toward liberation without losing ourselves in it, without losing ourselves to wanting to chase privilege? What do we do? How do we parent our children? Um, how do we manage our sexuality? How do we manage romantic relationships? Um, I'm also talking to... I, to this day, still, I've, I've recorded, I think, 12 episodes. Wow. And to okay. today, I have not invited a white, cisgender, heterosexual man. Um, and the reason for that is not because they don't have anything to say. It's because I want to center marginalized voices. In mm. fact, I don't think I've invited a white person yet. Mm. Um, because mm. I want to center marginalized voices. Mm. I believe that the marginalized people are creative because we have to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is that creativity that I want to talk about. I want I want to listen to fat women. I want to listen to mm-hmm. disabled people. I want to listen to Jewish people, Muslim mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. I want to listen to different marginalized identities that can actually share all of the ways in which they have had to be creative uh, to move toward their own liberation. And they share their tools with all of us so that we can have this collective box of tools, which I think is what existential podcast does too, is this collective uh, books, uh, tools box. Is that what they are called? I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's... Um, But yeah, we have this collective toolbox that we can kind of share 
mm-hmm. and, and and then we can do better. So that's what that's what it is. That's what the living room is. Just just a toolbox. Well, I can't wait to come to the living room. I'm definitely in whenever you want. I'm I'm they there. You okay, <laughs> I am there, folks. Go listen to this podcast. It's it is it is going to uh, be more of what you got today, which you know uh, maybe maybe you need to do that over a span of time. But it's it's, it's it you need to go listen. Uh, Joe, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. Thank you, Corey. Anytime. I love being here. Well, folks, that was Joe, our friend, our sister, uh, our pastor. And um, I hope you enjoyed that even a fraction as much as I did. Um, thank you to all of you who rate and review the podcast. Thank you to all of you who are patrons. And if you'd like to be a patron, you can sign up to do that uh, in the show notes of this episode. Also, there is um, a link to how you can stay in touch with Joe. And thank you for helping us to contend for a better world, one conversation at a time.